Right. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Hey. Marilyn's here. Wonderful. Um, bless you. It's been such a, a wonderful time together so far. So good to hear about the kids' work and to be envisioned for that and excited and seeing how well that's going. Um, we're going to continue in our series, uh, which we're calling Surprised by God. Uh, if you haven't been with us for a while or if this is your first time with us, we are going through a series where we are looking at who God is. And before we uh, jump into that, I'm just going to quickly pray. <coughs> Father, we want to ask you, Father, to speak to us this morning through your word. We thank you. You've spoken to us through uh, the time of worship and you you say you inhabit our praise, and I felt your presence with us this morning. I pray that you would continue to be with us, speak to us. I pray that we would know the warmth of your love as we hear your word. We know the warmth of your acceptance and your embrace as we hear the truth opened up, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we're going through this series, Surprised by God. Um, and I feel it's been a real blessing so far. I hope it has been to you. We've heard many different things about who God is, what his character is. Let me just check the time. Yeah. Um, we have heard that he is a God who is holy, that he is set apart, that he is unlike anyone else, that he is perfect in all of his ways. We've heard that he knows all, that he sees all, that he is a God who rejoices over us, that he befriends us, that he is all-wise and that he's unchanging. These are the things that we're understanding about God as we go through this series. The whole point to discover what is God like, what is his character, not just as a subject that we're studying, that you can su study a subject, but as a person that we can know. That we can understand who is this God who is interested in us, who, who has created, who is, who is over all things. What bubbles out of him? What is natural for him? What, is his, what shapes his behavior? Where does it come from? And he wants us to know these things. It's his desire that we would know these things about him. But we are finite. We are small compared to this incredibly infinite, majestic God. And so the only way for us to know about him has been that he would reveal himself to us. There's no way for us to just figure it out on our own. God has to reveal it to us. That's the only logical way to know about him. And he has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself to us in creation. He's revealed himself to us in his word. And he's revealed himself to us in his son, it's not like he wants us to just know about him like you might know in a CV, like a little bio, or like in a dating site. You know, God, six foot three, creator of the universe, omnipresent, omnipotent, loves ice cream and late night walks on the beach, looking for a people who will love him above all else. No, no, God reveals himself through a vast array of astounding beauty and glory in creation. In the Bible, through thousands of years of unfolding narrative, God shows us 
how he relates to mankind, how he behaves, what drives him, what's his passion, what moves him through the history of it, through the poetry of it, through the law text that he has given us. This is how I have desired that people would relate to me. He shows us his glorious holiness through very precise ways that he's called us to relate to him. Through the wisdom literature, he shows us how he has created life to work, how it works best. God reveals this to us through the word. Through the prophetic writings, he displays that he knows all from beginning to end, and he is completely consistent throughout. The Bible says that he, he uh, holds the, the, the universe by his very breath. He sustains it. And through the letters in the New Testament, he, 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 he describes what he has done. He opens up the actions that he has taken, helps us to understand what he has enacted. Christ, uh, sorry, God has revealed himself to us in his word. What he's like, how he relates to creation, how he relates to mankind. And finally, in the living and active person of Jesus Christ, God has revealed himself to us finally in how he walks among, how he walks side by side, how he is prepared to lower himself so that he can lift up others. God has revealed himself in many ways. And many of us foolishly think that if there are things about God that are uncomfortable for us, that we don't like, things about God that uh, um, we, we don't want to believe that, that he will change for us uh, or that we might change him or that we might just ignore those things without any consequence. But God has revealed throughout this series and throughout history, throughout the Bible, that he is God. God is God. He will not bend. He will not change. There's no turning in him. The Bible says there's no shadow of turning in him. And today we're going to see a reason, a, an attribute of God that helps us to see that that is such good news for us. That God is, is not a God who changes. God is God. That is good news for us. Today we're looking at an attribute of God that brings us such hope. And that is, we are looking at the God who holds on. The God who holds on. Reason to have hope. Do you have hope? Do you have a reason to keep going? What keeps you going? What do you live in anticipation of? Thinking, I'm going towards this. I am throwing my lot in with this. Do you fumble through life with your fingers crossed? Thinking, oh, I just hope it will be okay, really. I, I don't really know. I'm not really hoping anything specific. I just hope it will sort of be okay. Do you have that sort of underlying anxiety that I don't know that it will be? I don't know why I think it will be okay. I just sort of hope that it will. Or is there an expectation that you have that is really grounded in something? Grounded in something more than just optimism? Or grounded in something more than pessimism for some of you? See, as believers in Jesus, we have a hope that is grounded 
the Apostle Paul writes that believers in Jesus should be anxious for nothing. We have something to hold on to. As Tom so helpfully exhorted us recently, we need an anchor for our souls. We need to not just be drifting around, floating. We need something that we're rooted in. And as, I've, as we're talking about, Jesus is what believers have held on to as our anchor. Believers in Jesus have found that Jesus is faithful when we hold on to him. And today we see that he holds on to us. He holds on to us. Perhaps you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You may say you have plenty of hopes. I'm sure we all have hopes. I hope to be healthy. I hope to be happy. I hope that my friends and family will have good things happen to them. Perhaps you may have much more specific hopes. I hope to get on that holiday. I hope to make this much money. I hope to be able to drive that type of car or whatever it might be. I hope to get married. But these hopes need to be cast on something or they're just ideas. They're just thoughts. Hope is about casting expectations on something for a good reason. Hope comes with trust. And hope gets dashed when things are found to be untrustworthy. I'm sure we've all been there. We had an expectation. We, we put our hopes in something and it let us down. And it, it, it crushes us. In my early 20s, I learned to, to hate New Year's Eve. You know, you know what? Christmas is only seven weeks away. Uh, New, New Year's Eve is, is coming up. We, we can throw ourselves thinking, I'm, I'm just looking forward to that. I'm just waiting for that. The family will all be together. New Year's Eve. New Year, when I can start afresh, I'm throwing my hopes forward on those things. And I remember in my early 20s, just, you know, I think I'd watched too many movies, just thinking New Year's Eve is going to be this magical occasion where there'll be all my friends, there'll be party, there'll be, you know, uh, it'll be fun. And then, and then at midnight, she will be there. And I will look into her eyes and she will look into my eyes and, and, and I will be found in her and she'll be found in me and, and, and we'll gaze into each other's hearts and we will kiss. And then New Year's after New Year's, it didn't happen. <laughs> and I found I hate New Year's Eve. It's always this high expectation that never delivers. Some horrible New Year's Eve parties where, you know, I was at one where this guy got thrown down the stairs and chucked out of the house and the police had to come. And you're thinking, oh, that was just horrible. I went with such high expectations. I went home thinking, this is just horrible. And perhaps it's been your experience so often that you've thrown your hopes onto things that don't deliver that you, you're not really sure if you'll ever really hope again. I just give up on hope. Every time I hope in something, my, my expectations get dashed. It just, it just brings pain. And you've given up believing in anything enough to actually trust that it will come through for you. You might try, try holding on to things, but what you really need is something trustworthy. Something that will hold on to you. Perhaps you tend to throw your hope on things, and even when you get them, you find they're lacking. You find they're hollow. I think I was just going for that, that promotion, and I got it. And it wasn't what I wanted. I was just going after that experience. And when I had it, it was empty. It was hollow. Perhaps for some of you, it's, it's, it's been waking up in that bed that wasn't yours the next day and thinking, I thought that was going to really be exciting and fulfill me. And now I just feel dirty. I just feel ashamed. 
Or perhaps it's good things, you know, I, I've got that job. I, I moved to that new town, I got that new house, and it was great for a while, but after a while I realized this isn't what my soul needs. I, I got married, I, I got children, they're wonderful, I love them, but it's not fulfilling my soul. It's not what I need deep down. And in today's passage that we're looking at, in John 6, Jesus warns people about this. He, he talks to them about, uh, about this thing that mankind has been doing ever since the fall of mankind, looking for life in empty places. In John 6, it's this famous miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Well, it's actually 5,000 men, so with women and children thrown in, it's 10 to 15,000 people. Jesus feeds by multiplying a few loaves of bread and a few fish a thousand times over. It's an incredible miracle, and he satisfies 10 to 15,000 people's hunger. He satisfies them. They are, they're, 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 they've had their fill. It even says at the end there were 12 baskets of leftovers. It's incredible. He fulfills them. But they were not fulfilled in their souls. And, and we find, we pick up the story in verse 25, where they search him out the next day. These people that he has fed the day before, and they say this to him. What well, it says is verse 25. It will be on the screen. If you've got your Bible, feel free to open John 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you. So he's saying, now, you've got to listen here. I'm telling you something you need to hear. You've been misinformed. You've misunderstood. You need to hear some truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe? What will you do? I mean, that's a crazy question. He just fed 15,000 people with a lunchbox. What will you do to prove yourself? I mean, I don't get these people. But our ancestors, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. 
and I will raise them up at the last day. It's been an incredibly helpful uh, story for us to understand who God is, who he's revealing himself to be in Christ. Jesus who's saying, don't strive for what doesn't fulfill. Don't strive for what is temporary, for what doesn't last. This thing that mankind has been doing since the fall. Don't go after life in things that don't give life, that cannot give life. Whoever comes to me will stop searching. Come to me. That's, that's where that searching ends. And he says this beautiful phrase in verse 37 that we'll spend some time on in a moment. He says, and I will never turn away those who turn to me. I'll never turn away those who turn to me. We're talking about, about hope, what we can throw our hope on, what we can uh, uh, give anticipation towards, what we can rightfully expect things from. So we're going to look at different expectations and firstly, Jesus is, is saying, expect to be disappointed by other promises of satisfaction. We must expect to be disappointed when we go elsewhere for our satisfaction. We see a group of people following Jesus and not yet satisfied. Jesus explains to them that their problem is that they met him, but they were more taken up with the bread that he fed them than with him. Now, many in this room, the majority, I would think, would call ourselves followers of Jesus. These people were following Jesus and still not satisfied. It's possible to follow Jesus and miss him. How many of you parents out there or, or, or uncles and aunties have, have got a gift for a little toddler that came in a box? And the child is more interested in the box than the gift. We've seen it many times. They, they missed the point. We heard Tom talk a few weeks ago about the parable of the two sons, where the younger son, he, he wants to find life. He wants acceptance. He wants fun. He wants party. He wants to make his own choices. And so he asks the father for an early inheritance, and the father graciously, lovingly gives it to him. And with that, he goes away and spends it all on frivolities, trying to find life, trying to find acceptance, trying to find love, trying to find party. And, and, and we find out later on in the story where the party is, where the acceptance is, where the love is. He was with his father the whole time. It is when he goes home that he finds, this is where what I was looking for is. He couldn't get it from walking away from his father. It was where his father was. That's where the feast was, the love the acceptance, life, life was in being with the Father, not, not in autonomy. How many of us just think freedom and, and fun is in autonomy, is in me getting whatever I want to do? And, and Jesus is saying, no, that's bondage. That's not freedom. There's a God who loves you, who has intentions for you, who has called you to live certain ways that will bring life to you, first and foremost, trusting in what he has done that bring life. And we say, no, I'll go and find out for myself very much and find ourselves in cords of death, it says in the Psalms. I've wrapped myself up in stuff I thought would help me and I just, I just feel guilty, I feel ashamed, I feel empty. Jesus says, no, 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 come to me for life. 
We're never going to be satisfied when we aim our hopes of satisfaction at things that simply cannot bear that weight. That thing will satisfy me. No, it can't carry your satisfaction. It can't carry you. That's why we sing the song that begins with, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. I searched everywhere, but I, I'm not filled by anything else. We should expect to be disappointed by any other promise of satisfaction. We tend to just want stuff from God, and we don't want God. But God's heart is that we would come to him for him. That we would find life in him directly. That is the gift of the gospel. It is not eternal life. It is not salvation. The gift is him. That we come and we find him. Salvation brings us to him. Eternal life is being with him. It's him that we're here for. It's not that we would find, oh, I got my trinkets through Jesus. I got the bread. Jesus, where's the more bread? Where's the next bread? Jesus, you got me a job. Where's a better job? Jesus, you got me a wife. I'm not sure if I like this one. Where's a better wife? Jesus, I come to you for you. You're where life is. We don't just come to him for stuff. It's when we find life in him directly that life comes from the author of life. It makes sense, doesn't it? He wrote life. He created life. He's the author of life. We need to come to him for life. So we know satisfaction and fulfillment, trusting him, finding forgiveness of sin. Loving his ways, learning to love his ways. I, I'm so pleased that over decades of being a Christian, God has kindly helped me to, to, to change from being a, a stubborn child. I mean, I still am in lots of areas, but in many areas, stubborn child says, no, I know my own way better. To realizing, actually, I love your ways. I really, you're, you're better, you're more wise than I am. You're, your ways are fantastic. And trusting his Wisdom. He truly is the giver of life. Instead of finding life in Jesus, we tend to think we'll figure it out for ourselves. We can find it somewhere else. But because true and lasting life is only found in him, we end up finding only death elsewhere. So it is a helpful thing for us to expect and understand. I will be disappointed if I go after the promise of satisfaction anywhere else. Secondly, this is where we get positive going forward. Expect to be satisfied in Jesus. And when I say expect here, we've got to get this in our thinking. This is about anticipating. This is about being able to place our hope in. This isn't theoretical. It's not just, yeah, I'm supposed to do that and I'll get round to it. No, it's do you really want to know life? Do you really believe in him for good things? Are you expectant that there will be satisfaction in Jesus? Do you think... I, I, I'm tired, but I know that the prayer meeting will be satisfying. I know that if I open my Bible, I'll find satisfaction. I'll find what's good for my heart. I know that if I pray, if I come to him, if I follow him, he is trustworthy. It says this in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Trust that if you give yourself to him, you can anticipate his activity in your life. 
You can anticipate, expect. I prayed, I asked God, I'm walking forwards, expecting him to put the ground under my feet as I go. I'm expecting, I can, I'm not shut in. I'm expecting I can walk forwards knowing his grace surrounds me, knowing his warm embrace. Anticipate that he gives life. He is the bread of life. As we read in the, uh, the text, he is the one, in verse 33, that comes down from heaven and gives life. Anticipate that when you trust in him, it will always be for your good. That's trust. Hope in Jesus as your rock. Those of you who know, yeah, you have that underlying anxiety. I don't know what's going to happen one day to the next. I'm not quite sure where my hope is. This is where anxiety can truly be killed. I mean, some of you just, just being able to imagine. Imagine I, I, I believed everything was going to be okay. For, you, for some of you, that's just, I can't even get my head around that. I never know if it's going to be okay. But this is what it is to be in Christ, to know deep down, I do know that I hold on to one who's above it all. You reign above it all, we sing. That gives us peace. It's going to be okay. I, I, I can be free from anxiety. I can, it can truly be killed. And, and what's more, I can walk forward in confidence. As I said, when I put one foot in front of the other, in faith to him, he will form the ground underneath my feet. He's faithful. He'll be there. He's trustworthy. He is the rock. And he's good. And his love is abounding and steadfast for those who come to him. Peace for your soul is in Jesus. Some of you just, just peace for my soul. That sounds so good. I'm so tired of striving. I'm so tired of being afraid. I'm so tired of being, uh, uh, of being at the mercy of my whims and just doing stupid things where I'm addicted to certain things. Oh, peace for my soul sounds so good. Jesus is saying, I'm the bread. I'm what you need. Thirdly, expect Jesus' work to be sufficient for you. Expect his work to be sufficient for you. Verse 29, they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? If we're going to find life, God requires something of us, right? He's got to do. We've got to do something to get this life. Jesus says, the work of God is this. Believe in the one he has sent. That's what he requires of us. Not, not striving, not measuring up, not, not a certain number of hours of charity work or kids' work, or whatever it might be. I've, I've got to clock it up that he would be happy with me. Not a certain amount of good deeds. We, we can't impress God with our works, but we can come to the one who worked for us. And we expect that his work is sufficient. We don't need to add to Christ's work. We cannot add to Christ's work. Whatever we add to Christ's work, it muddies Christ's work. We've got nothing that's pure. It's like washing a window with a dirty rag. I'm trying to get it better. Oh, it's getting worse. What Christ has done is sufficient for us. It says in Galatians 2, Paul is talking to the church and he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law... Christ died for nothing. He's saying, I, I don't try and add my own works. I rely on Jesus' finished work. 
when he's talking about the law there, he's talking about his own efforts to please God. I don't need to add my own efforts to please God, to be accepted by him. Are you someone who's up and down about whether God is happy with you? One week to the next. God's, I think God's okay with me. I've done quite well this week. Next week, not quite sure. Do you know what? It's not still up in the air, brothers and sisters. It's not still to be determined. It's finished. It's not that we would still be a people who say, I hope I've done it all right this week. I, I, I haven't pleased myself. I definitely can't have pleased God. But that's because we are focusing on ourselves. This is not something that we should be fingers crossed about. One day I'll come face to face with God, fingers crossed, it'll be all right. I mean, how pathetic is that? He's the holy one. He needs holiness provided. He needs righteousness provided. And he's provided it himself for us in Jesus. Our work is to believe in the one that the Father sent. It's not still up in the air. If you're a believer who is united with Christ, do you know how you're doing with the Father? You're doing as well as Jesus is doing with the Father. You're doing exactly the same as Jesus is doing with the Father. Because you're in him. Would you, ever, would you ever question, is God happy with Jesus? Is God going to cast Jesus out of heaven? Not good enough. You'd never question that. He's delighted with the Son. That's your hope. To believe in the one who has done the work for you. That's where we stand. That's where we stand confident. Your relationship with the Father is as good as Jesus' relationship with the Father. Next, we must expect to be warmly embraced. Verse 37 said this, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Now, the Puritan John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, you probably heard of, he wrote a whole book about this verse. It was clearly one of his favorite verses. And he made the point that when people come to Christ, they are often apprehensive. They're afraid that they won't be received. Yeah? Have I done well enough? Will he receive me? He says that Jesus' understanding of this apprehension is implied in this verse. Jesus knows how you feel. That's why he says this. He knows that you'll think, oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, I'm coming to you. Why would he promise, I will never drive away, apart from he knows that you will be feeling, he might drive me away. He, he knows about your apprehension. I will never drive away. Or the King James Version, I will in no wise cast out. It's there for a reason. If there had been no propensity in us for fear of being cast out, Jesus would not need to waylay that fear. He knows that you fear that. Am I good enough for him? Those who come to me, I'll never cast out. I will in no wise cast out. He answers that fear with that phrase. Bunyan says that such a phrase need not be invented and given in such force unless it were to dash in pieces at one blow all the objections of coming sinners. For this word, in no wise, cuts the throat of all objections, and it was dropped to the Lord Jesus, sorry, and it was dropped by the Lord Jesus for that very end, and to help the faith that is mixed with unbelief. He goes on to say that no objection can be made about your own unworthiness 
that this promise doesn't answer. And you might be sitting there saying, yeah, but, but this week I did something I thought I would never do. That might be what you're sitting there thinking, but I shouldn't be sitting in this room if you know what I'm like, if you know my thoughts. Bunyan says this, but I am a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've served Satan all my years, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've sinned against light, says you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. This promise was provided to answer all objections and does answer them. Hallelujah. The phrase in no wise or never, I will never in the ESV is literally in the Greek, I will not not cast out. I will not not cast out. The doubling up of the word being the grammatical tool used for liter literary forcefulness. I will certainly never, ever cast out. That is what he's saying there. This is needed because Christ knows, as Bunyan does, that we're quick to resist his love. Even when we haven't committed a grievous sin recently, we tend to have this vague sense that Jesus is fed up with us. He's tired of our weakness and ready to go, let go at any moment. But again, Bunyan writes so helpfully, no, wait, we say cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand, I've really messed up in all kinds of way. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure. Certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it's just not my past only, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But more, <clears throat> but the more of the ugliness in me you just uh, sorry, but the more of the ugliness in me that you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. God has revealed himself throughout the Bible and church history again and again to be the God who refuses to let go of people. People who deserve to be let go of. People who fall, people who fail, people who have given up, people who have hated him and spurned him. He 
doesn't let go. So we come finally to expect generous care. Generous care. The Psalms say that the Lord is abounding in steadfast love, overflowing, dripping like a waterfall, unending with steadfast love for you. I will never cast out, he says. So be expectant. Be expectant of good, kind, patient, loving, joyful, peaceful, and gentle, generous reception from the one who didn't withhold his very life for your sake. But will he, will he look after me? Will he care for me? He didn't hold back his own life for you. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of Jesus' Spirit. What God is like. When we read in Ephesians 6, the fruit of the Spirit, all right, 5, 6, 5, thank you. The fruit of the Spirit is love because he's love. The fruit of the Spirit is peace because he's peace. Patience, he is patience. Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Expect him to behave that way to you. He is that. So we must be expectant of a God who will bring us what he wants to bring us. Go back to the generosity shown in the feeding of the 5,000. Even though the disciples rubbish their own offering. We've got this, but I mean, it's not really going to do what we need. Jesus takes it. Jesus said, that's enough for me. I can take that. And I can multiply it. They, they rubbish it. Their own offering was pretty pathetic. He honoured that. And he brought about what was needed. That's what God's like. Even though what we offer is pathetic. And often we don't even believe in it. You ever think that when you pray? What's the point of me praying? Why are you going to listen to me? He is faithful and abounding in steadfast love. Expect, expect generous care. Do you anticipate God will be faithful? That he wants to bless you even more than you want to be blessed? I'm not teaching name it and claim it here. I'm saying he wants to bless you and he knows how to bless you. I'm saying, God, I, 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 want, my, I want this. Now bring me in line with your soul's desire for me because I know what you want for me is even better than what I want for myself. He wants to bless you. One of my favorite passages, Romans 8.32, he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You expect generous care from God? You expect, this is what I expect from him. It's what he's like. But you're not deserving. I didn't say it's whether I'm deserving. It's what he's like. But what about what you did? Yeah, but this is what he's like. Nothing changes what he is like. If you come to him, he will never cast out. He's faithful to the end. So what do you expect from God? Did you used to have expectations that have grown cold? Did you think, oh, I used to pray for things, never got them, I've and cold, as if, as if the credits have rolled. It's not over yet. Keep praying. Keep searching him for things. Keep asking. 
We're praying for revival, revival, revival. We haven't seen it, but we believe him. He is generous and he will give us what we ask of him. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you don't see. So how's your faith here? Don't wait for God to do your hoping for you. He's wanting you to live with joyful hope and expectation, anticipation of his goodness, expecting him to be faithful to the things that he has revealed about himself. He cannot deny himself. He will be who he says he will be. So do we come expecting, God, you said, you said this, so I believe you for it. Satan wants you to look at yourself. God wants you to hold on to him as he is the one who will never let go of you. Amen? We're going to have uh, communion, the band. I don't know. Yeah, great. Communion is, is us partaking in this. It's partaking in our confidence of God's faithful to, faithfulness to us in Christ. So we, we have our, 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 our wine and our bread remembering this is how much he loves me. This is how faithful he is. This is him holding on. It says in the Gospels, those who he loved, he loved to the end. He didn't come to the Garden of Gethsemane and say, I can't go through with it. I thought I could do it. I can't do it. It's too much. No, he loved us to the end, till it is finished. So we, we, we have our communion remembering it's finished. This is the, the, the partaking in our confidence of God's faithful to, faithfulness to us. This is how faithful he is to me. This is it. So as we open, if you can get them open, the bread and the, the, the juice, this is not just a, a silly little cup. This is, this is his faithfulness to me. He would shed his blood. His body would be torn apart for me. His heart of total acceptance. His generous love. He gave without reserve for you. Our hope is found in the love of God at the cross. So I want to just um, stand as the band begin to play. And I'll just pray. Let's just be receptive to this. I want to pray for you that you would be expectant towards God of good, of love, of patience, of kindness, of him holding on to you. That you would be anticipating his patience, anticipating a warm embrace, that you would know I can truly put hope on him. He is not disappointed with me because I am in Christ. If you can't say you're in Christ today because you've never said, I need forgiveness for my sins, I put my hope in Jesus, you need to do that to know this peace. You need to do that to know that acceptance. He provides the acceptance for you in Jesus. Do that today. Come speak to somebody over in the prayer area. Father, we just receive your love as we taste of this bread that reminds us the Son of God's body was broken for me. God himself in human flesh bled, was crushed by men that he had created 
on a wooden cross that he had created so that I could go free, so that I could know him for eternity, so that I could know that he is the bread of life. I pray this this morning, Father, that, that, that many in this room would know anxiety being crushed. What am I scared of? Oh, in Jesus' name, please, Lord, come and meet with us and help those who know I need to cast it all on him. Stop sitting on the fence. Stop trying to find satisfaction in other areas. He alone is worthy. He wouldn't hold back himself from the cross. I know he's worthy. heard a wonderful thing recently that I never considered before uh, as a book written I think it's called The Laughter of um, Lazarus or The Mirth of Lazarus or something and the, the, the guy is making the point, if you're Lazarus and you've been through death and come out the other side, you know the story of Lazarus who was raised back to life in the Bible and then someone comes to you the next day and says are you a bit anxious about stuff, you would laugh. I've been through death. What is there to be scared of? That's our story. That's your story if you're in Jesus. Been through death with Jesus. Come out victorious. Raised with Christ. There's no place for, I don't know what will happen. I don't know if he'll be faithful. He's already shown himself faithful. 